This is episode 98 of the Ref Thinking Podcast. I'm Joel Pilger. Creative people love feeling the warm embrace of a client who says, oh, I love what you've done for me. And it validates them, right? It makes them feel like they're important. And I think it's a really dangerous drug because what it's doing is undermining the value of your company. Welcome to Rev Thinking, the podcast for creative entrepreneurs who know the best way to deal with the future is to create it. As we count down to episode 100 here at RevThink, we want to say thank you to you for making this podcast successful. Simply just ask that you please subscribe and spread the word, and there's much more to come. Now, to today's episode, I will warn you, I think this podcast could change the direction of your business and maybe your life. You see, back in 2011, I read the book Built to Sell, Creating a Business That Can Thrive Without You. I only wish I had truly applied it. Now, today, my guest on the podcast is the author of that book, John Warlow. John is the founder of The Value Builder System. That's a methodology for building the value of a company, and it's been used by thousands of businesses around the world. It's offered by a global network of independent advisors known as certified value builders. And that system is known for helping business owners greatly increase the value of their companies. Now, luckily for me, Tim Thompson and I have become personally acquainted with John. And when my team at RevThink and I, we integrated their value builder methodology into our consulting practice. And I asked John, hey, would you be willing to share your perspective with us and our audience, he enthusiastically accepted the invitation. So today, Tim and I are excited to introduce him to you and vice versa. Now, that book I mentioned to you, Built to Sell, was recognized by both Fortune and Inc. magazines back in 2011 as one of the best business books. John also does host the Built to Sell radio podcast, and he wrote other books, The Automatic Customer, And most recently, his new book is The Art of Selling Your Business, Winning Strategies and Secret Hacks for Exiting on Top. All right, so let's dive in. But first, about that warning I gave you earlier. I know when you hear us talk about selling your creative business, you think, no, 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 that's not me. Uh, That's not the path I'm taking. Well, I just encourage you, please listen and have an open mind. John, welcome to the podcast. Good to have you here. Good to be here, guys. So, John, you've written these books. You obviously have the whole value builder uh, organization and, and, and process system. But what's your why? What's the thing that sort of drives you deep down inside to do what it is you're doing these days? Wow, yeah. So, look, I, I really get off on helping entrepreneurs whom I think are the the real heroes of our economy. Like, I think if, I think where would we be without Elon Musk right now? Like, really, where would we be without some of the entrepreneurs that have have risked everything, could get a job in a heartbeat, could do 
you know, have benefits and, you know, where would we be? And I guess I'm just really motivated by the unsung hero. And I use Elon Musk as an example because he's wildly known and successful, et cetera. But it's the, it's the, the business owner who puts uh, food on the table for their family with a company that's generating a million dollars in revenue or $500,000 in revenue or $2 million in revenue that I think is, is often so forgotten about. And I just... I, I get a real kick out of uh, hearing from them and uh, some way, shape, or form helping them uh, achieve what they're trying to do. I, I love that idea because entrepreneurism is often something we stumble into, isn't it? We, we make a decision maybe early on to get a project done or do something kind of small, but then one day we wake up and we're stuck as a business owner. And those entrepreneurs need a different type of support than just what they do to sell their clients. They need other people to come alongside them to think for them, create strategy or whatever that is. So uh, I love that idea of just they are there's a heartbeat to the economy because they're around. Yeah, I think was it was it Michael Gerber, the guy behind the E-Myth who said, Entrepreneurs have an entrepreneurial seizure. Is that am I getting that right? Where basically you're an industry, you're a guru, you're a graphic designer, you're a, a great audio technician, and like, well, I can do this on my own. I don't need to work for somebody else. And they just put their shingle out and say, okay, now I'm an entrepreneur. And it's it's like a seizure. It's like a, I can't remember what he said, but it's something to that effect. Well, I, I'm reminded of a story one of our clients told us years ago. Uh, a gentleman named Jared, who who summed it up this way. He said. Joel, I always had this dream of running my own creative studio. And then one day I woke up and realized I'm running a business. And there's that, that <laughs> if you really think about that, the, the nuance that's in there, that you desire one thing and then the, the reality is something else. Not that it's a bad thing, but obviously running a business um, is, is, is a very big undertaking. And, you know, I, I ran my own company for 20 years and Tim and I have enormous respect like you do for all of these entrepreneurs, these creative people in our industry who venture out to do this thing. And you know, our dream is let's support them and unleash them because I think they're giving something to the world that is so needed. It's, it's, it's content, it's expression, it's creativity, it's energy and all these things. Um, but that said, I'll tell you a quick story, John. I wanna give your, your reaction to this. Tim, do you remember, this is about seven years ago. So this is when I first started uh, working with owners myself. We were at doing a conference and one of our guests got up and, and was saying, you know, all you owners out there that run these studios, I love buying your businesses because I can buy you really cheap, unlock the value and then sell you and make a lot of money. And he was said, said it, straight-faced, very optimistic, like, this is wonderful. I love you guys. And everyone in the room, of course, said, did you just say that? How dare you? <laughs> but I think he was on to something because uh, my thought was, well, this is my why. I want to help these owners understand the opportunity that's here. And that is, there, there's a way to run a business such that you have an eye towards the future. And that by someday being positioned to, to sell, go through a transition, actually helps you run a better business today. So when I share that story with you, I'm curious, what's your perspective on that? Yeah, look, for creative people, it is a real challenge, right? Because at the core of a creative is creativity, 
right? The, the, the whole notion of McDonaldizing your business to become the cookie cutter, everything gets done the same way. It's like, it's like oil and water. It's, it's completely anathema to who they are as people, right? And oftentimes, I think it's fair to say, and I don't know if, if you guys want to disagree with me, but oftentimes creative people love feedback, right? They love feeling the warm embrace of a client who says, oh, I love what you've done for me. And it validates them, right? It makes them feel like they're important. And I think it's a really dangerous drug. I think that desire to be liked and to be, uh, uh, to be important is a dangerous, dangerous drug because what it's doing is undermining the value of your company. And I think there's a way to, to flex that creativity is to be your most creative self, but apply those instincts to your company. So I would love it for every creative to have the most incredible website, the most incredible onboarding experience, the most incredible way you interact with your clients, the first emails that you get when you opt into the newsletter is the funniest, you know, most creative, delicious email sequence. Implying, you know, injecting all that, that creativity that you usually give to your clients, do yourself the favor to give it to yourself, your own company. And I think that is such a, is such an important, like I think of Nancy Dewart. Do you know Nancy? She's built a great business out on the West Coast. She helped, originally she did Al Gore's pres yeah. presentation, The Inconvenient Truth. Beautiful, beautiful presentation if you've ever seen that movie. Um, she spent years being her client's hero, making wonderful PowerPoint presentations and, and, and keynote presentations in Mac. And then she kind of had a revelation. She said, wait a minute, I want to build a business. I don't want to just be on this hamster wheel of creating other people's businesses. I want to actually create my own. And she built an entire business around coaching organizations, big, large companies, on how to in instill creativity into their company. And she's taught it. She's productized it. And if you go to her website, it's amazing. But it's it's she's no longer working for clients. She's building a business. And it's a different it's a different way of thinking. Different equation. Yeah, I, I'll say this. I, I, I feel like, and this is a big statement, I feel like in the creative industry, there's, I'll call it a silent pandemic. And I know that's a, that's a big word. Please don't days. use the P word. But, <laughs> yeah. Well, here's, here's the reality of it. The reality is that we find creative business owners, they don't know how to finish well. And as a result, they don't, know how to live well in the present either. Does that make sense? Because this idea that, uh, well, I didn't get into it to get out of it. You know, if I was to sell my business, well, that's admitting failure or that my clients don't like me anymore <laughs> or that I'm washed up. Okay, these are the common narratives. Uh, that, and I, 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 I lived that life as myself. So I've, I've been there. But the, the, the theory that I wanna put forward because I've heard you talk about this, John, is this idea that by making your business valuable and strong for some future event, transition, sale, helps make it the business that you actually wanted all along right now. 
Yeah, the most common thing I hear from people who go through Value Builder and go through the, they kind of start and say, I want to, I want to sell, I want to maximize my value. I'm going to go through the Value Builder system, and I'm going to figure it out. The most common thing I hear is at the end of the system, I'm not so keen on selling anymore <laughs> because now it's actually <laughs> working without me. Look, I think the key to the the whole like kind of premise or idea that I think is. Uh, is should be the guiding light of virtually every creative, every studio owner, every agency owner, is to stop thinking of your business as the primary objective is to serve clients or it's to hit a certain revenue target or a certain profitability target. I think the, the goal should be to imagine yourself a parent and you've got a 15-year-old playing Fortnite in the basement and your job is a parent is to get that 15 year old to somehow get muster the courage and enthusiasm to get out into the universe on their own give them the confidence the skills the the wherewithal to become a functioning adult and spend the next five years trying to nurture that 15 year old into a, a, an adult who can kind of live on on their own and that's a total head scratcher for most entrepreneurs. They're like, what are you talking about? But that's the way I think you need to think in order to build a business that can thrive without you. Instead of thinking, oh, I'm going to take on that new client because you know they're going to allow us to build out our portfolio. Or I'm going to take on that new client because, man, they're going to be a great revenue source for us. <laughs> Ask yourself, is this going to make my business more or less dependent on me? And if the answer is more, second Give yourself a head shake and say, maybe not. Maybe actually I don't want that client or that project because it's, all, it's, it's, it's further, uh, it's further make, taking me away from my goal. I think the goal of every entrepreneur uh, should be to build a business that can thrive without you because that's the ultimate poker hand, right? If you can structure it so that it's not dependent on you, guess what? You can cherry pick the clients that you want to work with right? And not feel beholden to all of them. You could cherry pick the projects. You could cherry pick uh, the days of the week, frankly, you want to work, the places you want to work. If you want to spend your, 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 your winters in, in Thailand, you could do that because the business is not dependent on you. And yes, by the way, when you're ready, you can sell it. Uh, but I think the core theme needs to be, let's stop building out our portfolios. Let's stop screwing around trying to hit some revenue target and think I'm a parent of a 15 year old. My job is to get him out of the house. I, I love your, what you're saying there. It's um, if I could summarize the idea of the desire of being freedom um, and when running a business, when when uh, guiding yourself through this process, um, I have this thing called the four stages of a creative career. Um, the first stage the being the artist stage, the one where we do the work. And the next stage being the auteur stage, we're kind of like you're building this system where other people do the work, but your company or you get the credit for it. And I find the transition from that auteur stage to the next stage, the curator stage, is the desire to be free, to kind of strive for freedom. But so many of us don't know, like you were saying earlier, know how to get out of the addiction of being wanted, of being desired, of being the center of attention. But that curator stage is really something of not just setting yourself free, but building up other people so that they can thrive in this industry, that they can thrive and, and grow beyond that. And that transition is just so difficult. I, I find, I call it the maturity 
like these are stages of maturity because I feel like you have to grow into it. I don't think you go into your entrepreneur business trying to get out of it the day you start it. In that case, you'd just be a venture capitalist or just an investor. But we mostly get in this business for a purpose, like to satisfy a life calling. And then at some point, your, your, your ability has to change or does change. And therefore, your exit or your desires have to also fit your ability. And that freedom becomes a big part of it. What's the fourth stage? Oh, the fourth stage. I love that's a great question. The fourth stage is called the collector stage. And uh, my, my metaphor there is a collector is someone that goes to an auction and buys a piece of art for a million dollars and then hangs it on the wall of a museum for free. It's the one where we get out of the cash flow addiction of work and you're doing something else. So, you know, like all ships rise and tide fall with the same tide. You know, it's one thing to be a ship, which is a business on the on the on the water, but it's the other to be the tide. It's uh, using influence. It's using connectivity. The the people that you've worked with, the people you've grown up, the people you've supported, those are the ones you kind of rest on, and the and you have even more and more influence of not just changing your business, but changing the industry. Um, so that that fourth one is uh, really difficult, I think, when it comes to a long term career. That's a cool. Although I have to say, wow. John, from the outside, I think value builder is very much moving in that collector stage. You're you've gone beyond just helping yourself and selling your business, but the value builder system you have in place and the book series you have in place really is getting people to think differently, regardless of how much John can do or even even your company can do. You're influencing people way beyond the scope of everything you can touch. Oh, that's good of you to say. Thank you. I love that model. That's yeah. really cool, Tim. Yeah, thank you. I was actually talking to one of your, by the way, your team is amazing. Oh, uh, we love Ryan and Alex and the people we're working with. Oh, um, uh, such a great team. Um, and Alex and I were talking about the, just the, that model the other day and uh, how well uh, some of the work that you guys do and even this latest book, I think that's what got us started is um, it's a big thought of freedom. And I, and I can kind of hear it resonating. Yeah, that's Joel's holding it up. Um, uh, and, you know, like as you come alongside creative entrepreneurs or just entrepreneurs, it is one of the things they need that coach to do. I think it's the um, outside advisor plays a very strong role in this next step of maturity. Most of us, like we say, just got into business through a, the seizure, but now we're, we need a coach. We need someone to kind of give us the confidence and be okay with that. And because, you know, absence of a coach, a creative will use their client as their barometer of their success, right? As their arbiter of whether they're doing a good job. And I think most creatives don't have a, a boss like there if you own your own studio your own agency or your your own creative company you, you generally don't have a, a boss to hold you accountable to things you say you want so you say you want freedom you say you want that you know lifestyle that is associated with freedom but you don't have you know, generally speaking, a board of directors, a boss, outside shareholders often to hold you accountable to that fact. It's usually you. And and so I think having an outside advisor, uh, you know, your clients are in, in good hands because you can hold them accountable and say, you know, you, you've told us you want freedom. Uh, and that's our job is to give that to you. And when we see you wandering off of that uh, path, You've asked us to hold you accountable. That's what we're doing. And I think, I think it's a very important role for every entrepreneur is to have an outside um, person to hold them accountable because 
we, you know, we don't have the luxury of a boss. And uh, in absence of that, it's, we just sort of start to fall into the arms of our clients and their uh, sort of feedback. And that, again, can be a very dangerous feedback loop to continue to, to, uh, to hear. Yeah, well said. So, tr- so true uh, and well said, that idea of falling into the, the client's arms it, 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 what we what I find is there's this uh, these addictions right that like Tim mentioned and that you mentioned as as well earlier and it can be addiction to cash uh, but it's often an addiction to that rush of the client picked me right we got the job okay let's go be the heroes and produce this amazing creative product and that feels good and there's nothing wrong with that but that addiction as it plays out over the years it it results in something a bit dark, and that is it, it, there's workaholism that's rampant uh, with these business owners. They, they classically underpay themselves. Uh, there's, there's burnout. And what often happens, of course, is this owner does it for a number of years. It could be 10 years. It could be 20 years. And they suffer with all of these side effects or symptoms. And then one day they just say, you know, I think I'm done. I'm tired, I'm bored, I'm worn out. And their biggest dream is, well, did I save a little bit of money along Mm -hmm. the way? That's their plan. I mean, their plan is, again, I don't know that it's intentional, but the net effect is, well, I ran this business for 10 or 20 years, and when I'm done, of course, of all, of course, they don't think they're ever going to finish. They think they're going to just do it to the day they die because they, quote, love it. <laughs> but they eventually do wake up one day and say, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm tired. And hopefully I've squirreled away, you know, five or six figures of some amount along the way here. I was going to say, e- even worse than when the clients are done with them and you're not. It's the whole Neil Young quote. It's better to burn out than to fade away. <laughs> And a lot of us in the creative world are, that's our biggest fear is that we're not relevant anymore, even though we want to be doing it. And, and it, that's what got me really pushing people to start thinking this way. It's the 60 year old businessman and 70 year old businessman that would approach me and ask me to help them become relevant again. And I just couldn't do it. The best I could do is help them retire well in Miami, but even that wasn't um, very satisfying for any of us. Yeah, it's, it's a young man or woman's game. Like the creative space is, I mean, it's a young person's game. And, and there's nothing worse than waking up at 45 and going, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm no longer relevant. I don't know what the kids are watching or, or, or looking at. And, and yikes, that's a scary, scary time. And I think a lot of creatives I've known firsthand, and I, I have many friends who are in the space, they do get resentful. I've noticed that at some point they get resentful of hawking some other Fortune 500 company's wares that is doing terrible damage to the environment or doing terrible damage to whatever cause they're interested in, and yet they know that they're addicted to that, uh, you know, that money that they need to fund their business, and they they become resentful. I actually had a client who did exactly that. He was extremely successful. Um, in the you know the industry was in uh, very well known his website was the one that you were saying about this gorgeous website everyone would wait for his website launches every year hmm. um, but then one day realized he could do so much more in the influence play than he could just you know, launching the next bbc rebrand or something like that <clears throat> and so what my transition was with him um, we called it the ambassador stage back then before i knew what the four stages were in my own mind but this thought of like 
that he should retain his company, but they'll go become an ambassador for his own company and put himself out there. And he actually ended up working for the United Nations and designed those global goals, those one, wow. um, yeah. those 19 global goals. Those were kind of his concept idea and his mark. Um, but he had to let go of his business. And it was a few years, three or four years it took to put the systems in place, the routines, build up the leadership, get get the clients um, you know, removed from this idea he had to be in the room every time they had a conversation, get him out of every conversation as a creative director um, and that transition. But now he has his own company and his own kind of division in Sweden and retained his original business. Oh, that's cool. So it doesn't always have to sell it, but that idea of like making your making that company become an asset is some of, I would say, arguably some of the stuff that you'd like to talk about too. It's not just the asset could be sold, but the asset could also be retained if you're adding more kind of pieces to your empire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, it goes back to, you know, a lot of people I think listening to that will, you know, would maybe say, but I, you know, I love working with clients. I love the, the the adrenaline rush I get when I win a new piece of business or I come up with a really creative solution for something, and and I go back to the parenting analogy. I'll share. Uh, my kids are involved in sports. One's a big ski racer. The other uh, plays baseball. And as I love, as much as I love playing sports myself, there is an incredible sense of pride when I watch my son, uh, you know, pick up one of his teammates on a team who's struck out or, 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 you know, crashed in a gate and, and watching him be uh, a buddy for his, you know, his friend or his teammate, it brings me just so much more joy to watch them grow into young men than it does me to pick up, you know, a baseball bat again and, and, and play a game. And, and I, again, I don't mean to sound too airy fairy and out there, but I do think you will find when a colleague of yours, someone you've hired goes out and wins a piece of business independent of you or comes up with a creative solution that you didn't have anything to do with. It, it brings the sense of pride you have in your company to an incredible, a totally different level when you've when you've got other people fulfilling their destiny their creative chops um it, it's like it's a totally another level so for me uh, i think it's i don't think it's a i don't think you have to feel like you're selling out to have other people or design a company that that other people can be the heroes i think there's an amazing uh, sense of accomplishment that comes with seeing that firsthand yeah well i appreciate you giving that example, because what I'm hearing you say is maybe there's something out there for owners that they don't even know yet is possible because they've been stuck in this hamster wheel rat race, right? Of get the next project, get the next client and that. I, I need that feeling. And of course I need to, <laughs> need to pay my bills, but that there is a, again, it's that idea, John, that you, you, you talk about over and over in all the books of, if you had to think about selling your business and preparing it for that transition someday, there are these different areas of your business that we're going to need to make strong and healthy. And once you get them there, you may say, well, gosh, now that it's all these areas are strong, I have a salesperson, a creative team, all these people that can really push this business forward and run it without me. 
well, are you really going to want to sell? Probably not, because now you have the company <laughs> that you you desired all along, but maybe you didn't know it in the early days. Yeah, and, and I think that enters into a new realm uh, of something we call the freedom point. And I know freedom's been a major theme throughout our conversation, but the freedom point is a very practical point you hit with your business. And it and it happens when your studio or your agency or your creative company reaches a point where selling it would create enough money to live for the rest of your life. And I think at that point, it is worth asking yourself the question, am I willing to trade that freedom, that financial freedom, uh, that the ability to be a collector in Tim's uh, schema, uh, for the next tranche of growth, the next client project, et cetera. Because effectively, if you are the primary shareholder of your studio, you've got all of your chips on the table. If you haven't built a lot of cash up or wealth up outside of your company, you're effectively, you've got a, your, your entire sort of net worth in your company. And when you, when you reach a point where selling it would create enough liquid wealth that you could live for the rest of your life, it is worth asking yourself, Maybe now's the time for me to switch into the collector space. And again, I don't, you don't have to answer that question in the positive or the affirmative, but I think it is worth asking, am I willing to trade what I have built, freedom, in return for the next tranche, uh, the next chapter of growth? Maybe give us a sense of some of just the practical dimensions for, for those that haven't either read Built to Sell or uh, Automatic Customer or the new book, um, Art of Selling Your Business. What does that process look like? Say I'm running a studio that's somewhere between one, one and $10 million and I start asking some of these questions like you su suggest. Uh, I don't necessarily know the answer in the affirmative or the negative yet, but what would that process look like just from a 30,000 foot view? Yeah, I mean, the, the first step in the process is what Alex Stapleton, the character in, in, in Built to Sell, he's, he owns an advertising agency, a marketing agency, he's running around with his hair cut off. He's doing well, he's making a good living, uh, paying himself reasonably well, but his his lifestyle is terrible because he's doing way too, he's offering way too many services. He's doing signage and collateral and SEO and more, I mean, all everything under the sun. And as a result, he can't hire people. And as a result, his business reaches a plateau beyond which he can't grow because there's only so many hours in the day. And so the mentor role in the, in the book, uh, Ted coaches him on the idea that really what you're, what you're trying to do is go from selling lots of stuff to a few clients to doing exactly the opposite, selling a few things to lots of clients. And again, that's going to rub a lot of creative people the wrong way. They're going to say, I don't want to be a cookie cutter agency doing the same thing for the same, you know, the same, same people. But it's this, it's the necessary step, the practical step to making your business uh, something that could one day thrive without you. So that's the that's the first step in the process. And I think the this the once you've sort of come to that real you know, sort of that that uh, notion in your mind, I think the second step is to go through what we call the TVR formula, which is teachable, valuable, repeatable. And you guys will take folks through this in uh, in step two of the value builder system, the scalability trifecta, where you look at your business through the lens of what services can we provide that are teachable, valuable, and repeatable to our customers? And that's the, 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 the starting point of creating uh, a business that can thrive without you. Because again, the, the kind of core idea here is that your company needs to run 
without you mean you've got to hire employees and employees generally thrive on experience doing the same thing getting getting to become become a master of them so it's it's a process of figuring out the one thing in the case of alex stapleton in the book he looks all you know he puts all of this stuff things on a whiteboard and looks at all the different services he's providing and realizes that he's got a bit of a proprietary or unique moat around this idea of creating logos and so he starts to build out a five-step sort of process for creating logos and and ultimately teaches employees how to develop that system or, or run that system how to sell that system and ultimately builds a company that that doesn't require him anymore. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna preach for Joel here for a second. And so Joel, I'm totally setting you up. Be ready to step into this. But uh, you know, Joel really best. pushes <laughs> Joel really pushes hard in the marketing stage of that, of creating a unique positioning in that process too. So something that separates you from the crowd because one of the biggest sins we do for our company is basically make a laundry list that compares equally to every other competitor you have out there instead of highlighting that one unique thing that you do that you can be proud of. And then for, for from our point of view, developing a method that makes that repeatable. So we talk about the systems routine and the method that you're selling more than you're selling the product. Um, but Joel, I'll, I'll let you set it up because I think that we all we all know that marketing is another huge component of making this value of your company and that asset really uh, play itself forward. Well, I'll, I can just, John, I'll tee you up with this because in the, the value builder uh, methodology, when you talked about positioning actually being, if not one of the most valuable, one of, or maybe the biggest determiner of value. And that is, if you're running a business that stands out in the marketplace, has what I call a mini monopoly, almost, and it's different, it's special, it's one of a kind, that that more than anything else can determine the value of a company. And I think that that is obviously relevant for if you're selling your business, but it's relevant today. I mean, commanding high prices and being able to win business over uh, competitors and I think have enough, create margin in your life. Positioning is one of these odd things that actually is the source of, of all those things. Oh, man. Would you agree? I, I agree 100%. <laughs> uh, you know, and I think it helps you both in, in building a business, a high margin business that you want and you can thrive and also selling it. So on the, on the building it front, the worst mistake that we make, I think, as creatives is we show up to the world and say, I'm a graphic designer, I'm a photographer, I'm an audio engineer, I'm a, you know, whatever. And, and immediately you have commoditized yourself uh, and, they, and anyone can, can turn around and say, oh, great, okay, you're a graphic designer. Yeah, I, I think I can find one of those on Upwork or you know, Fiverr and you know, my graphic designer charges 20 bucks an hour. You're charging 50, that's crazy. I'm gonna go to my, so you're commoditized, right? So the, in, the, in the building of a company, the worst thing we can do is use a commodity label for what it is we do. And certainly it leads to hourly billing or it, it, it just triggers the, the entire avalanche of things we don't want as, as, as a creative. So what I think you wanna do instead of that is develop a unique process as you're describing. So something that is unique to you that you can market as the only provider of, as the, as the true you know, uh, 
highly differentiated provider of. So that helps you differentiate yourself, gives you better margin. It also helps your team sell it, right? Because in the absence of, uh, you, you know, if, if all you do is say, I'm a graphic designer, then it begs the question, well, who's the designer? Where do they go to school? What are the clients that they worked on? Let me see their portfolio. And all of a sudden, you're selling a person, a human being, which by definition makes it hard to scale. And so instead, if you have the, the, the five-step logo design process, as, as Alex Stapleton did in, in Built to Sell, that's a thing. It's not a person. And then you can start to uh, separate out on the marketing. When it comes to, ultimately, for folks who ever want to sell their company, positioning is going to be a huge factor and determinant to the value of your business. I'll tell, I'll tell you a quick story. Um, guys I interviewed for for The Art of Selling Your Business book, uh, Jeffrey Friedberg and Stephen Wells started a company called Embanet. They were, in the early days, a simple uh, web development shop. So they did web design, right? And custom, you know, custom web design, building by the hour, by the project. And they started to carve out a little bit of a niche in helping universities build out their, their online presence. And they got an offer for their little digital studio, their little, uh, you know, web development company for three times SDE or seller's discretionary earnings. It's an expression of profit early in the business. And Friedberg and Wells said, ah, it's kind of a little, it's, I mean, it's okay. It's a pretty decent offer, but it's, it's not great. So they chose to turn it down, but they took that lesson of being put into a box of a, just a graphic design studio or just a web, web development studio to heart and they changed and pivoted their business and said, what we really are, are gurus in building out courses, online courses for universities. And they positioned themselves, trained, changed the way they positioned the company to be a market leader in the burgeoning space of e-learning. No longer were they positioning themselves as a web design studio, but now they were a, an e-learning juggernaut, right? Leading the charge, pioneering the e-learning category. And they made some changes to the business model as well. But I, I think positioning was one of the big things they changed. Anyways, long story short, two years later, they were acquired for 13 one, three, 13 times earnings. Part of that is when an acquirer sees a generic design studio, they have a bucket in their head for what they pay for those. And it's not great. A couple or three times earnings and a lot of it's on an earnout. When you position yourself as part of a growing industry like e-learning, that unlocks an entire different way valuation, you know, model and, um, and it just goes to show you that positioning yourself, I think, is important uh, part of this whole process. That goes back to that original quote that Joel uh, mentioned at the beginning with uh, the speaker Garris and how he talked to these business owners saying, I'd love to buy business like yours, unlock the value and then sell it for a higher multiple. What he's doing is, is he is not the entrepreneur in the seat who can't get out of their own way. As an outside investor, you come in use a little bit of influence and you change the positioning, you make the person's cash flow stronger, you give them a, ret a retention value of their clients or repeatable value of their clients that you can uh, repeat over and over again. And those aren't very difficult steps. If you focus on them, you can easily accomplish that. You just have to recognize that that's the necessity in being in that seat as the investor of your business. 
instead of being the one man uh, person, one man band that's uh, running every little small aspect of your business and trying to keep control over it. Yeah, so well said. And, and I think if we go back to the original question you posed, Joel, in the beginning of this conversation was like kind of what keeps you kind of up at night or what, what, what gets you out of bed in the morning. And, 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 and for me, I get frustrated when I see private equity groups who are effectively financial engineers reaping the benefits of other people's work. And so the way a private equity group works is they do exactly what you're describing. They buy low and sell high. They go in, they buy a company that's, that, that is, in their view, mismanaged or you know, underperforming, could use some professional help, and, and buy it for two or three times SDE, and then institute all their MBA sort of lessons, and they go flip it for 9, 10, 12 times earnings. And effectively, their skill set is what we're talking about today. They're, they're trained in doing the things we're talking about. Productizing, putting recurring revenue models in place, uh, branding, marketing. And I think, like, who are they to, to reap the benefits on the back of all these entrepreneurs who have built companies over 20 years and they turn around and, yeah. and monetize them? That's totally, I, I remember being part of those conversations where outside investors were hiring me to go in there and help them do acquisitions. And I thought to myself, well, this is almost unfair. <laughs> right. And the, truly the people that I love are the business owners, these creative business owners. How do I start get, putting into their hands the needs that they, they want? So they could benefit from the really, financial windfall yeah. as opposed to the, the more, <laughs> you know, Wall Street mercenaries. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was part of a huge acquisition um, deal back in the day there's a company called trailer park and it just you know they were buying up companies and i was playing this role of operations person and uh, writing some software and putting in these systems and i kept thinking i know so many friends that could benefit from this and that's what launched rev think it's really that's this awesome thought of the creative business owners need to know like they have to have the opportunity themselves to get out of this thing and, and again we've been talking all along like we can all just get stuck in our way in doing it so um yeah, it is a it is a good motivator, a good wake up call. Yeah, and honestly, Joel Joel wouldn't be here today if his company wasn't acquired, um, and he wasn't unhappy in that <laughs> process. He wouldn't be a consultant with us today. <laughs> well, believe, believe me, I read "Built to Sell" and foolishly did not apply it. It was like too little, too late, right? And that goes for for Tim's advice as well as well. But let me let me ask maybe this question is is a bit of a let's try and kind of wrap it up and sum up the opportunity here because I'm, I'm there's also a, a buzzer going off in my head because I'm thinking of my story and the owners out there that hear all this and they say yeah but it's not about the money <laughs> right meaning you know if I could sell my business someday and maybe get a million dollars you know sure but we know the opportunity is there but it could be worth three or five or seven or something as or result of making the business stronger and more healthy um, to someone who says, but John, it's not about the money. What is your encouragement to? Yeah, but no, I, I agree a hundred percent. It's not about the money. It's about the freedom that ultimately the money buys you, but it's not just, that's not the only way to get that freedom. If you have a business that can thrive without you, you're in control of your destiny effectively. And so for me, that is a very motivating uh, aspiration is freedom. It's, it's 
you know, it's funny, this pandemic has really shone a spotlight for me personally on how much I value and aspire for freedom. Right now, as we record this, I'm, we're in lockdown and, and, you know, like the very essence of things that I want to do, I can't do. And it's, it, it, it is just psychologically grinding me personally because I want to go do the things that I want to go do. And don't get me wrong, I'm not in any way minimizing the pandemic. I'm being a good soldier and not going outside. But it is, it, it, it is so frustrating to, to not be free. So I agree, it's not about the money. It's the freedom that comes from having a company that can thrive without you, that gives you the ability to be free. And I think the ultimate is to have a, you know, have a bank account that will fund that lifestyle, but it may not just be the, the cash. It can also be a business that will allow you to have that lifestyle. So uh, I agree, it's not about the money. It's what the freedom that the money buys. And converting your business to an asset that you can either retain yourself or sell off in the future really has got to be some of the goal that you have as a business owner that um, and be asset driven and create this asset instead of just thinking of yourself as only a service-based business and you're only as good as the last service you provided that is the trap that most of us um, need to get beyond well john i i i love that uh that statement like there's this deeper why and i think it does actually drive a lot of the owners out there and it is this freedom thing, right? Tim, you say you got into this business for one of three reasons, fame, fortune, or freedom. <laughs> but I think as people evolve through their career, freedom becomes really the principal desire. Uh, so even though it may not be about the money, uh, money is a means to an end called freedom. And I think we can all agree that is a, a really good goal. So John, I, I uh, can't thank you enough for Pleasure. taking time to sit down and, and, and do this. I know you're on this busy uh, rollout of the new book. What's 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 next for you? Oh man, it's it's really focusing on the new book, and and that's a that's a that's a big effort. So so thanks for having me on. Uh, I was you know thrilled to have you guys as partners as certified value builders in our community. It's great to have an industry specialist, someone who knows the creative space, to be. Uh, helping and working with our clients. We got a, a ton of folks because of the content of the book, Built to Sell. We get a ton of creative people coming and saying, ah, help. And so it's great to have you guys as partners that, that really know this space. Yeah, thanks, John. And thanks what you for what you do in putting this stuff together. Um, we love the program. Um, if people want to get a hold of you, they can listen to you, uh, Built to Sell Radio, of course, Built to Sell the book series and whatever. You, and I'm going to guess you're going to be on a lot of podcasts. You're out there pushing your latest book out there, The Art of Selling Your Business. So I'm going to say this probably isn't the only place they're going to be hearing your voice, uh, hopefully in the next few months. That would be good. Yeah. And I mean, again, I think, uh, you know, we're partners. So if folks listening to this want to get access to more of the thinking we've talked about today, I think that the... The place to go is is you guys and reach out. Uh, by all means, I'm I'm around. I'm builttosell.com is is the website where we host all the, the podcasts. But uh, but you are our ambassadors in the creative space. So so I hope folks reach out to you first and foremost. You've been listening to the Rev Thinking podcast. Hey, it's Joel. If you want to learn more about building the value of your creative firm, go to revthink.com/slash. Exit. Thanks for listening.